Welcome to Regeneration. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, what you've given us, and your guidance in there, your promise in there. Um, Thank you for uh, the ways that you've blessed us. Pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us what you have to say to us in James chapter 3. In Jesus' name, amen. We won't go through the entire chapter, just uh, verses 1 through 12. And uh, it's talking about controlling the tongue. And uh, James has been pretty um, tough on us the past several weeks and uh, telling us things. Um, but, you know, he's doing it out of love. And uh, that's something to, to be mindful of, is that James is telling us all these things out of love. But in regards to the tongue, just some questions for you to ponder upon. Why is it important for Christians to control their tongues? And do you know of someone who doesn't go to church because of someone else who didn't control their tongue? And James considers this a very important topic. So important that he's reiterating what he briefly mentioned in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he uses two verses there that he talks about speech. Verse 19 in chapter 1, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So slow to speak. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. See, last week we talked about faith and how it's to find its expression in good works. And now James is going to look at a specific problem area in developing this faith lifestyle. And we're going to be seeing how powerful James considers the tongue to be and how devastating it can be. Verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. See, James has a serious warning for those who become teachers. The responsibility of teaching has to be taken seriously because there's a greater accountability and a stricter judgment. And sometimes it's easy to take a teaching position too lightly and not consider the, the cost if we teach others erroneously or if we lead them astray. Jesus warns us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. The New Bible Commentary reads, There seemed to be an eagerness for many to speak in public without realizing that the fundamental qualification for teaching is learning. Perhaps also there was a tendency to mistake fluency of speech for knowledge. And we do this today. Teachers should be certain they're presenting truth and not just making a speech to glorify themselves or just hearing themselves talk. This teaching is an awesome responsibility. So who exactly are teachers? Well, in this particular verse, it's addressing those who are teachers of the Word of God. And as teachers, we're held accountable to what we teach and we're held responsible to how we handle the Word of God. And so we have to be careful in how we present it. And whenever we're teaching the Word of God, we're regarded as a teacher. And you're a teacher when you're speaking to your children, your spouse, your friends, or in gatherings when speaking about the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle, apt to teach, patient. So we're all teachers in one way or another. And we also need to watch our attitude when speaking, our voice tone, and our body language. All these things involved in messages that go out from us. We're responsible for all those things as well. 
And we need to be especially careful with children. As we can set a child on a course that can affect his or her entire life. And we read this in the press every day about the havoc that's created by misled or abused kids. So positive encouragement builds up, put-downs destroy the spirit. So it's no surprise that James starts out with a warning to teachers before addressing the control of the tongue because the primary instrument of teaching is speech. And the agent for delivering speech is the tongue. It's also not a surprise that he addresses teachers here right after addressing the problems of listening and doing and right after addressing the problem of having faith and deeds. And as James has pointed out that there shouldn't be a contradiction between our faith and deeds, he's specifically pointing out the responsibility of teachers. As teachers, we have to be extra mindful that we don't contradict what we teach with how we live. And I'm sure you've heard teachers and parents say, because I said so, right? Maybe that's the problem. Because you only say, you don't do. You want your student or child to be obedient to you, but are you obedient to God? What are you doing? How you live your life is more important than what you say. And you know, I'm guilty of this myself. There are some people here that can't learn from me because of the way that they perceive that I am. And you know, I'm, I'm sorry about that if you're one of them. And I hope we can talk about it and work it out. And I realize that there are things that I need to work on and I need you to point them out to me. But as a teacher, whether to gatherings of people or to my children or whoever, my desire is to have people do as I do, not necessarily do as I say. Jewish rabbis in one of the sayings from sayings of the Jewish fathers writes, not learning but doing is the groundwork and whoso multiplies words occasions sin. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body. We all stumble. That everyone's sin was a standard Jewish doctrine. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Just like it is for us Christians. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And another standard Jewish doctrine was that one of the most common instruments of harm and sin was the human mouth. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of the fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So to the early Christians in this day, being particularly from Jewish descent, this wasn't anything new. But James feels that they need a reminder. And the ancient Greek word stumble isn't implying a fatal fall, but something that hinders or trips us up in our spiritual maturity with the Lord. Notice that James is including himself in this as well. He said, we. So he's not excusing his or our stumbling and acknowledges that all of us stumble. But we should all get up and we press forward. And we should all look towards a better developed walk with God with noticeably less stumbling. A perfect man is described as one who can control his tongue and therefore his whole body. It's a measure of spiritual maturity for us Christians. To not stumble in word shows true spiritual maturity. This is particularly relevant to teachers who have so many more opportunities to sin with their tongue. Christians and Christian leaders 
we make mistakes. And no human with the exception of Jesus is presented as being perfect. And we all need to work towards the goal of controlling our tongue, which is a most difficult challenge. And when we stumble, we need to make it right. In word, by apologizing, and in deed, by correcting our offenses, so that any potential lasting damage can potentially be undone or healed. And speaking of Christian leaders, or let's just plug in influential people here, who has influenced you most with their words? Your mother or your pastor? See, this admonition is for teachers, but let's not forget that parents are teachers. We parents are very powerful people. Words are very powerful. Powerful people who are important people to whomever their respective audience is, we have to be careful in how we talk. You know, people are watching us, and you're the most important person in the world to your child. You're the most important person in the world to your friends. And whether you realize it or not, this is how it is. Verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. James gives us three examples to illustrate his point here. Bits in the mouths of horses, the small rudder that guides a huge ship, the effect of a small spark that can have in igniting a forest fire. And he uses these illustrations because they're common illustrations that most everyone in that day would understand. So what do these illustrations have in common? They're all something small that controls so much. And they can get us into a ton of trouble if they're mishandled. And James points James' point is that a thing so small can be so powerful. And James is saying that like these three illustrations, the tongue, though so small and such a small part of the body, can control and influence so much more than its small sides would indicate. And we have to control our tongue. And it's an indication that we have control over our entire self if we have control of our tongue. The bit and the rudder are small but extremely important parts. If those small instruments aren't controlled, the entire horse will be out of control. The entire ship will be out of control. And so with the tongue, which is a very small but tremendous thing that has tremendous power to do good in blessing or evil in cursing. And there is an interesting similarity between the bit in the mouth of the horse and a rudder of the ship. They both set the direction of their respective masses. See, the bit sets the direction for the horse as does the rudder for the ship, just as our tongue sets the direction for our life. Much of life's direction is determined by the things you say or the things that you don't say. Take a school or a job interview, for instance. Much of what you say or don't say is used to determine if you're accepted into a prestigious school or hired into a reputable company or in court. Much of what you say or don't say can determine what happens in your life depending on your testimony. So our tongue has an incredible influence as to the outcome of our life and the trajectory it's going to shoot us toward. And the course of our life is directed by our tongue. Something interesting about an uncontrollable horse. You don't solve its problem by locking it up in the stable, right? Same with a ship that's difficult to steer. You don't keep it tied up to a dock. And if you do that, it just makes the entire horse or the entire ship useless. So with our tongues. We don't take vows of silence to control our tongue. Now I believe silence is a really important spiritual discipline, 
But just to be silent the rest of your life is not the answer, right? We have to be able to control our tongue and yield our tongue to God. And it's something that needs to be worked on, something that we conscientiously choose to make better. And the uncontrollable horse is trained. The rudder is fixed. So there needs to be an effort exerted in controlling our tongue. The Greek philosopher Aristippus had a wise saying. He said, The conqueror of pleasure is not the man who never uses it. He is the man who uses pleasure as a rider guides a horse or a steersman directs a ship and so directs them wherever he wishes. Interesting in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, this is how rumors work. It starts out with one spot and then it starts to consume, right? An example of this is the Cedar Fire, the largest fire in California history, started by one man who set some timber on fire on October 25th, 2003. What started in one location spread overnight, killed 12 people, destroyed 28 homes. Within hours of that, it spread 30 miles southwest and burned over 100,000 acres at an average rate of 5,000 acres per hour. It jumped across highways and burned down hundreds of homes. The fire forced the evacuation of a main air traffic control facility for San Diego and Los Angeles, Los Angeles, shutting down all commercial air traffic in those areas and disrupting air traffic all across the United States. The following day, the fire burned down hundreds of more homes. Two days later, it consumed about 114,000 acres, including the entire community of Cuyamaca and many more homes. The fire wasn't completely controlled until December 5th. The power of the tongue. What it can do in terms of its damage is extensive. How it affects so many and can strike harm at any distance from your neighbor to someone across the planet. Even innocent people who have nothing to do with the people involved. How it makes people take, how it makes people take sides. How it causes division. And it hurts individuals. And then extends towards relationships with family and friends. And then it affects entire communities like our church. And as it grows, so does the exaggeration and the effects. And then the rumors take a life on their own. And the rumors' destruction spread whether the, the rumor is truth or it's not. And I believe for the most part, our community has done well with what we've been dealing with in Todd's resignation. I, I think some have struggled, but most of us have done really well. And overall, I'm really proud of this community. And there are some things that we still have to deal with, but overall we've done well, I think. And while we should be using our mouths to encourage, pray for, and build one another up, and, and the leaders up who are already feeling the brunt of this difficult time, people have used their words, whether intentional or unintentional, to cause division, to cause confusion and hurt. And if not controlled, this kind of talk amongst us causes damage, just like the wildfire. And it can spread outside of our church and affects all kinds of people we wouldn't even think of. It causes damage that will be really difficult to undo. Just as many wildfires aren't caused intentionally, but by people just kind of going about their business, and some of them may be careless, but you know, you too may be causing damage with words. And though you think you're being helpful somehow, it's damaging. And some people inside and even outside our community are spreading lies and not being completely truthful. People are lying outright. And you know what? God will judge that. And others are spreading lies unknowingly, but unfortunately, you don't always know if you're spreading a lie. And once it exits your mouth, it's beyond your control. 
So I suggest you stop. Because you don't know what's truth. And even if you do know what's truth, it can be false by the time it exits your mouth and the story is retold. So even if the information you hold is true, are you honoring God and helping build others up with the news that you have, talking about it? See, we need to be slow to speak and think through what we're saying because we will be held responsible. And ultimately, truth will prevail. We don't have to set our agenda and see to it that justice be done. God knows all, and He will judge. And I fear for those who lie. You know, God will not be mocked. And for those struggling with this, I pray that the self-deception stops, especially those who have taught, teach, or will teach God's Word, as the verse first says, which is many of us, you will be held in a stricter judgment. So let's just all do the right things. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. The tongue is as dangerous as fire. It can corrupt the whole person and set the whole person's life in one, in one path. It's set on fire by hell. It can be so evil as to plot harm. Psalm chapter 52, verses 1 through 4. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. Lord, have mercy on you if you are someone who's like this. Fooled by your own evil, looking to continue in your lies and deception, making your life a false reality and making it look better and better by the way you kind of change stories and tell your stories, justifying and making excuses as to why you're in sin, convicting or convincing others to join you in your sin because they believe in what you say. Do you know that God reigns? That the goodness of God endures continually? You need to stop plotting your false life. Repent. And the tongue has the potential to release a world of evil among all parts of the body and can be used to incite the whole body to violence. Ever notice how violence is provoked by words? People get physically violent from the words that are said. You don't believe it, just hang out in the corner for an hour. You're going to see it. And remember that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me? What a lie, right? Broken bones can heal, right? But the pain from words can hurt us for a lifetime. The things that we say to others and the things said to us can last a really long time, whether they're good things or evil things. And careless sarcasms or critical comments, they cause long-lasting injuries to people. Proverbs speaks of this type of person who doesn't think about the destructive damage that words can cause. Proverbs 26, verses 18-19. through 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. But timely encouragements or sincere compliments can inspire people for the rest of their lives. Proverbs has some verses for someone like this as well. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Verse 25, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Chapter 16, verse 24, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. James' letter is frightening, right? 
And the words from his letter are frightening. And he meant for that to be frightening. And remember, James loves his audience and he sees the potential danger and destruction that our tongue and thus our words can have. There are a couple or several more Proverbs I want to share before we move on with James here. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Chapter 11, verse 9. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. Chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Verse 7 of of chapter 3 in James. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Think about what comes out of your mouth. Wild animals are more easily tamed than the the tongue. You can go to the circus, the zoo, sea world, wherever, see how different animals have been tamed. And James is even saying that no man can tame the tongue even though he has an incredible ability for, for his willpower to have power over his will and sacrifice. And you've heard of these survival stories, right? You know of the one of the desperate mountaineer who cut off his arm with a pocket knife? Didn't happen that long ago. That guy's a tough dude. I have a problem cutting chicken, like bone. But can you imagine cutting through like skin and muscle and tendons and bones? Like a paper cut makes me uncomfortable. Like, right? So this 800,000 pound boulder falls on this guy's right arm and pins him to the side of the canyon. That boulder trapped him there for five days in a remote canyon in Utah. Aaron Ralston cut through his arm below the elbow, applied a tourniquet, administered first aid, rigged anchors, and fixed a rope to rappel to the bottom of the canyon. He then hiked out to meet rescuers. He's a bad dude. (laughs) He told rescuers that he wouldn't survive without the drastic action because he ran out of water two days before. You know, yet that same person, with such willpower, with such sacrifice, can't tame his tongue. And it's not just Aaron, it's all of us. But it can be brought under the control and the rule of the Holy Spirit. If we yield to the Spirit so that He can do for us what we can't do for ourselves, He can bring our speech under control. A woman came to John Wesley and told him that she knew what her talent was. She said, uh, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. And Wesley responded, I don't think God would mind if you buried that talent. See, speaking everything that comes to mind is unwise. It can just be poisonous. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. See, the untamable tongue, that's a poisonous thing there. Has someone's poisonous tongue ever crossed your mind? Or have you actually poisoned somebody else's mind with what has come from your mouth? You know, just this past week, I said something to my wife that hurt her. And, you know, I was tired. I had a long day at work and I was grumpy. And she asked me a question and I I responded in a poisonous way. And it's not what I said that, you know, necessarily, it wasn't necessarily untrue. It was true, but it was kind of how I said it. And seeing how it affected her, like, I initiated a conversation and we talked about it and we sorted it out. 
But you would think that me doing this very study would be able to control it. I can't. I cannot control it. I can control a wild animal. But I can't control this. And, you know, we talked about it and and later on in the week, I actually went up to her because I wanted to give you guys the specifics of what I did. And she said, I don't remember. She already forgave me. She like has no clue what it was. And I, it, I just have a bad memory, so I don't remember. But she forgave me and she has no clue what it is. And something that my wife and I have been really good at is kind of withholding our anger and talking things through. Since I've known her, since our courting and dating and all that kind of stuff, we've had two fights. I'm not proud of them. I think two's too many. But, you know, we, we, we kind of work on things and we try to talk things out. And so here's another example of what the tongue can do. When the Israelites were outside the promised land and heard that the Canaanites were strong, they started to grumble and complain. And all that negative talk changed the course of the work of God. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. On the other hand, we can stop what God wants our church to be by our tongues, by mumbling and grumbling amongst ourselves. On the other hand, we can look for what God wants for us. Let's not have to spend extended time in the wilderness as a church. Let's not lose out on His blessing because of our uncontrolled tongues. Verse 9, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We are made in God's image, so it's incongruent to bless God while cursing people. Whatever we do to other people, it's as if we're doing it to God because we're made in His image. And we have to stop our antagonistic speech. That's something that was happening with the Jews at this time. They had this deep-rooted, patriotic tradition that was further fostered by their inflammatory speech, by their volatile words, and they started cursing their enemies instead of blessing them. That is incompatible with worshiping God back then as it is now. Are we guilty of this? Is our speech antagonistic towards people, people made in God's image within our church, within our ministries, within our jobs, our schools, our families, our government? You know, it's all right to disagree, but how are we going about it? Are we hostile in our opposition? See, we need to be careful in how we deal with one another. What we say to one another in our church, in our ministries, we need to proceed with things taking caution and care because we're dealing with people made in God's image. How do you communicate in your home? Do you, you as parents or, or kids or siblings, are you viewed as just being harsh and critical, difficult to please and argumentative? Are you polite and courteous to strangers and even talk about love and kindness outside of your home, but at home you're just grouchy, easily irritable? Do you exercise patience more with strangers than you do with your own family? Maybe at church you're known as a devout Christian, but at your job and school you're just known for being unfriendly, someone who just speaks negatively about everyone. You know, many in the Bay Area are really bad at talking about our government. And since this letter is directed towards Christians, I'm just addressing us believers in Jesus. Does the way we talk about our government have to be so unfriendly, hostile, destructive? Let's be gentle with one another. We have to guard against the habit of speaking ill of other people. 
And it's a contradiction to speak poorly of people while praising God. We're all made in the image of God. Even people who don't seem like it. Right? And our tongue can be used for a high calling in blessing God, and it can be used for a low evil in cursing men. But for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, it shouldn't be said that out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And our speech should be consistent in glorifying God. We shouldn't be people who use one set of words and one set of tones when we're talking at church and then use a different set of words and a different set of tones at our job or at our home or anywhere else that we're at. You know, even this, the disciples struggled with this. The very same John who said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's the same John that said, Lord, let me cast down fire and burn the city. Right? Luke chapter 9, right? He wanted to burn the city with his brother James. Different James. Peter, Matthew chapter 26. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. With that very same tongue, several hours later, it wasn't even a day, can't even confront a junior high girl. Right? Started lying under his own oaths and cursing and swearing like a sailor, you know? You know, our tongues have both a positive and a negative potential. Verse 10 says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. James wants us to stop this inconsistency. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he speaks of a character by the name of Talkative. And he's the epitome of of what we've been talking about these last few weeks in regards to listening and doing and in regards to faith and deeds. He's the guy who who's like passionate about talking about religion, right? But he has no evident works results to show the results of a true salvation. And Bunyan describes Talkative by telling us he was a saint abroad and a devil at home. You know, last week we talked about specific physical responses by faith of obedience to God. Speaking about that, I'm going to check in on your homework assignment. How many of you actually did that? Can I just see like hands? Oh my goodness. How about offering our tongue this week? Let us work, struggle, and pray to eliminate lies, rumors, gossip from our mouths. And if we can physically stop our tongues and submit our actual words to Him, we could eliminate so much evil in our church. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. He continued on this thread of thought, with verses 18 and 19. But those things which can proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thought, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. It's not just a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. You know, our mouths are speakers of our heart. and we, we reveal what is truly in our heart by our tongue. And our heart needs to change. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. James uses two more examples of things that aren't congruent. Fresh and bitter water from the same spring and trees bearing different fruits from what the tree actually is. 
And again, James is using things very familiar to his audience, and he picks out three agricultural products that are really common to the region. He picks out the fig, olive, and grape. And we can't be two different things and two opposite things. What comes out of our mouth reflects what's in our heart. A fig tree can't bear olives. And we won't always say and do the right thing, but our desire should be that our speech and our action should reflect our discipleship to Jesus. We can't act and speak like someone who isn't a disciple of Jesus and profess to be His follower. Our lifestyle reflects what we really are. And there isn't a contradiction if bitter water or bad fruit comes out. It just means that the spring is bad or the, the tree is bad. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33-37 through 37, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers... How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. See, we've all said many things that we wished we didn't say. Things we've said when we're emotionally out of control of ourselves, like times of anger or fatigue, and how we wish that we would have never said them or that we wish that we could take them back. And there are also times when we wish we did say something, when what we say could have been a blessing to others and used for encouragement, for apology, for comfort, for acceptance, for forgiveness. And those positive things that we can say mean so much and relieve others of confusion and suffering. And it can be so helpful to simply just let other people know that God loves them and that you care for them. And many of you have been so encouraging with all this stuff that our church is going through, your prayers, your encouragement, your positive words. All those things are helping us move forward in our ministry. And I thank you. You know, that, the funny thing about the tongue, it, it can be used to bless or curse. It can be used to heal or wound, to calm or agitate to say the most beautiful things or to say the most foulest things. And a good test to see who you really are is to take note of what comes out of your mouth when you're upset, when you're tired, when you're angry. And that often shows where our heart really is. If we, can, if we repeatedly can't control our tongues, we have to examine our faith. Are we really followers of Jesus? If we aren't disciples of Jesus, then we can ask God to forgive us and convert us. And for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, let's be people who spread the love of God with our speech and talk about the good things we know of others. Even those we have problems with have good things about them. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul's dead, and David has all the opportunity in the world to celebrate Saul's death. Saul who looked to destroy David for years, who took away David's best years of life, David mourned for Saul. Even though Saul was ungodly, unrepentant, David mourned and he wept and he fasted when he learned of Saul's death. You know, what a testimony it is when we allow God to work in our life. When, he, when David could have easily been filled with hatred or bitterness, a lack of forgiveness, David chose to forgive and to love and to even speak good things about Saul. He wrote an entire song speaking of good things about Saul. And because of the way he handled this situation, everyone that followed David, that followed David's example, that entire community 
they were able to heal. So the first verse of chapter 3 begins with an admonition to teachers. And as a teacher, you're naturally a leader. And most of us are teachers in one way or another, right? So how are we going to lead our community in healing? You know, we know people who are looking to us and how we handle adversity. Let's show them by example how we're going to go about doing this in a healthy way. To show them by example that God is truly our Lord. You know, there, there are plenty of other people out there that speak evil. Let's just let them do it. It's not us. Let's bless people, not curse them. And we need help with this as we are human. And we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to come within us, among us, to fill us, so that we can choose the way of Jesus. So let's speak good things. There's no reason in speaking the bad stuff. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would fill us to be good people. People who are here to bless others, not curse them. People who are looking to build others up and encourage, not to tear down and hurt. God, we need Your Holy Spirit because we are people. And as James said, including himself, we all stumble. Thank you, God, for uh, the words of James and how he uh, has spoken to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God in heaven and here am I on earth so I'll let my words be few Jesus I 